Let's take it to the edge. Let's get deflected. Let's talk about the night perspective. Let's get sharp. Let's get a little real. Hey guys, I'm Dan Eastland with Dogwood Custom Knives, and I'm here with Kyle Daly of KH Daly Knives, and this is The Knife Perspective, episode number 042, Back to the Grind with Vince Molina. How you doing, Kyle? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. So I got to enjoy one of the great uh, things that I don't think anybody else can top in the, the Midwest does greater than anybody else, and that is sweet corn for dinner. I uh, huh? boiled some of that up. And uh, here recently, we've been just grilling it. And I had forgotten how much I really enjoyed it and brought back a lot of memories. Uh, Tell me more of this sweet corn. Sweet corn? It's, uh, yeah, it's like, like white corn or? Yeah, it's just the like grocery store corn, but uh, not, or up here, we have to differentiate it because we grow so many types of corn. So there's high oil corn, then there's field corn and sweet corn. So sweet corn is what uh, the, what? We yeah, usually that's the food corn. We usually eat versus the livestock corn. Yeah, and then oil corn is what they they use a lot for uh, high fructose corn syrup and corn oil and stuff. So those those uh, but the sweet corn around here it's uh, it's it's pretty good. We have food corn and deer corn. Deer corn. Yeah. Yeah. So uh took some took a stick of butter, rubbed it all over the ear of corn, and uh, put it with some kosher salt, and man, I. Uh, brought me back. Hey man, you to put that on the grill too. Uh, hey Vince, what are you doing? You haven't been introduced <laughs> yet, man. I thought you'd introduce me a little bit. No, ago. No, no, no. I just mentioned your name. You cannot break the sacred pact. <laughs> I thought that was the introduction. No, 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 no. You'll know the introduction when you hear it. Yeah. All right. Ah, oh, shit, Kyle. I forgot to write an introduction. This one's going to be awesome. <laughs> All right. But yeah, so I had uh, sweet corn and uh, made some burgers and Italian sausages on the grill. And then we also had some fresh zucchini from our garden. My wife has been uh, really tearing it up on the garden and stuff starting to wind, wind down. We had had a, it's a prolific garden. Yeah, it's uh, like 45 feet by 52 feet. Um, so we've we've probably gotten a couple or at least 100 pounds of tomatoes. Um, I've been putting putting some tomatoes and stuff in the in like a target bag and like hanging it on the little like arm of the the mailbox for our for our mail person she's been loving that and have you have you discovered fried green tomatoes yet um we don't usually fry fry the green tomato or do fried green tomatoes that much uh being gluten gluten free uh we don't really uh, don't really fry too yeah. terribly much stuff uh, there's not Understood. not a ton of good batter. Being southern, we fry everything. Yeah, Twinkies, ice cream, butter. Skittles was one of the ones I thought was the the weirdest, but yeah, that's unique. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so the the garden's been doing great. Um, been got a got a couple watermelons that were absolutely fantastic out of there, and uh, we got a bunch of popcorn, uh, the multicolored ear popcorn. So oh, cool. we're excited for some of that. It's got to dry yeah. out before it can be popped. Have you tried grilling watermelon? 
I have not. Is that pretty good? So, yeah, man, slice it about an inch, inch and a half thick, a little balsamic vinegar. Okay. Like nice hot grill, 30 seconds on each side. It'll caramelize the sugar and then serve it. I like a little mint and feta cheese. Okay. It's it's outstanding. So is that like like uh, super hot, like 500 degrees getting the grill up to when you do it or? Um, yeah, if you're like 450, 500, it's maybe 30 seconds each side. Okay. You're really just caramelizing the sugar right there on the surface and warming it through. Oh, nice. Um, if the, the grill's more like 350, then maybe give it 45 min- 45 seconds a minute each side. Okay. Yeah. And then, uh, for, for me, one of the other, the other big announcements is, um, officially the full-time person. I did a Instagram live the other day and, was my first official day not uh, being employed by my by Navistar anymore. So I am officially down to just one job and daddy duties instead of two jobs and daddy duties. So, well, you know, I, I don't need to know about your daddy duties. <laughs> I mean, that's that's kind of personal between you. And, um, but now that you are committed, like you've publicly stated it, you can't back out. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of things I need to tell you off. Air. Okay. <laughs> Nice. But uh, yeah, so uh, how are you doing, Dan? Uh, I'm outstanding. Pretty good. I'm hanging in there. Oh my God, I'm covered up. Yeah. I saw I saw you had a pretty good uh, beer cr- or uh, pub crawl uh, going on on Saturday. Yeah, the, the, the tension had kind of built up at the Eastland household and we needed to uh, we needed to vent a little steam. So we hit uh, we hit Greenville for a little pub crawl. Uh, started off with death in the afternoon, uh, what is possibly becoming my signature cocktail. And then things just went downhill from there. Death in the afternoon. Yeah. It's a, um, you know, I think Hemingway made it. I don't know. I found out about it through reading Hemingway, Hmm. but it's one part absinthe, three parts champagne and a teaspoon of sugar and a, uh, lemon twist. Hmm. I'm not um, even sure what, what that would taste like. I've, I've never really had absinthe, I don't think. Uh, I love it. Um, it's got, str- depending on the style you get, it's got really strong licorice notes. I like licorice. Then you will love absinthe. And later on, I'll flip the camera around and I'll show you my selection. <laughs> I love me some absinthe. All right. But I'm doing well. Getting ready for uh, Blade Show West which I'm almost in panic mode because I've been clearing some back orders and I think I have four knives in stock yeah. and we've got a month till blade show. Yep. You got the blade show crunch. Uh, yeah, man. And it was fine when it was once a year. I'm kind of stings a little bit to do it twice a year. And I got to, at least the second one is a little more kitchen knife focused. It is, and I'm excited. Uh, we'll talk about it in a minute, but uh, I'm excited about the uh, the kitchen knife cutting competition, too. Yeah. But uh, next week is Euphoria for us, and it's a big food and wine festival in Greenville, and Crazy Uncle Lee is going to come down. Yep. And uh, he and I are going to do a couple of presentations together and then uh, uh, eat well, and I'll drink all his wine for him. Nice. Because I'm a friend that way. <laughs> well, tell Ethan hi for me. I absolutely will. Cool. Um, I feel like we've we've gotten a little long on the uh, the bullshitting segment of this uh, this podcast. Yeah. Did we get into the money making part? <laughs> yeah, we are, uh, we're going to talk about our sponsors toward a little bit later, but uh, we got uh, our dealers oh, yeah. of 
KH Daily Knives and Dogwood Custom Knives. You can uh, find KH Daily Knives and Dogwood Custom Knives at Old Town Cutlery, uh, one of the great sponsors of the podcast now. And uh, you can find Dogwood Custom Knives at Knife Center, the Knife House, and the Cook Station. So make sure you check those out. Tell them that uh, you and you like the Dogwood Custom Knives there. And then uh, I've been doing a bunch of cab or uh, shelving that uh, you guys can't see, but behind me, there's a whole bunch of it shelves. Is stunning cabinetry, man. Don't shell yourself short. Well, that's not shelving. That is cabinetry. Well, that is top grade furniture quality lap jointed cabinetry. For for cabinetry, shouldn't you have doors on it? I feel like there should be a door. There's no door. Yeah, but, but nobody could have, nobody could see it. Oh. So really, oh. you you could have just gone with me there, yeah. and I, I'm going to probably post some pictures of it so people know. But anyway, uh, never uh, mind. <laughs> yeah, that's some shelves you, you done there, buddy. <laughs> uh, I used a lot of the pocket holes. Uh, the I I love the Craig Jig pocket holes. So shout out for those if you guys don't use that. That makes stuff go together so much easier for some novices the uh, like me. And then uh, I wanted to give a shout out. What? Uh, I'm going to piggyback on your shout out because I also use it for doing faces for cabinetry. Okay. Uh, It makes your life way easier. As long as you make sure that uh, you double and triple check that your your jig and stuff is all on the right settings. Uh, (laughs) So the ones above my or above my head over here, Uh, apparently I had it set on five eighths instead of three quarter or sorry half inch instead of three quarter so uh when i shot all the screws in they stuck through the the wood like a 16th of an inch but luckily i have the the milwaukee uh right angle die grinder with the two inch sanding wheels so i could buzz those (laughs) off so i don't have don't have to worry about scraping myself but uh yeah make sure those are set right but uh one of the other things i used a bunch was my little air nailer with some like one inch uh brad nails Ah, that explains the shout outs you're about to give. Yeah. So Brad Rodriguez, uh, which is also part of uh, Made for Profit, is the uh, the podcast that uh, Brad and John Malecki did. Um, they haven't done any episodes for a long time, but they have a lot of really good business stuff in there. Uh, a little more towards woodworkers, but uh, there was a lot of good stuff in there. I listened to all. They did like a little over 100 shows, I think. So there's a lot of good content in there. But uh, mm-hmm. I was using my air nailer a bunch and uh, I was having a big problem with the little Brad nails shooting out the side and uh, watched Brad's uh, six nail gun mistakes you should avoid. And apparently I was making five of the six. <laughs> uh, Just remember, you're not you are not a professional <laughs> until you put a nail through your finger. I haven't I haven't put a nail through my finger yet. I I can't say that, but. Through is what you want to go for. When it hits the bone, that really sucks. You want to try to just pass through the the muscle in the flesh. Uh, but yeah, uh, definitely there'll be a link to Brad's YouTube uh, video there. Uh, that was really good. Uh, the Brad nails, I didn't really realize it until looking at it more. They're they're not like a square. They're like more like an eye. Uh, so the turning your gun ninety degrees actually makes them not want to go side to side it makes it go want to go like up and down yeah. um so when i was shooting it in if it was going to go it'd go like in line with the wood instead of out the side um so it was amazing that little little tip i think that was number five or six on his uh nail gun mistakes but um yeah that made a huge difference uh i did my next little set of shelves back over there 
and didn't shoot any of them out the side. So um, just rotating my gun 90 degrees from how I had it fixed all of that. So thank you, Brad. And I'm glad I um, learned that. Also, uh, I forget what the video was, but I saw there's a Brad pusher. Have you ever heard of this thing, Dan, being a woodworker? Um, I've heard of a nail set. I haven't heard of a Brad pusher. So there's this like tool called a Brad pusher. It has like a tube and then there's like a rod in the center and then you can put the Brad right into it and then just <laughs> push it right up against the trim or whatever. And it pushes it straight in. So you don't have to have a nail gun. So if you're like not near your air compressor or whatever, you can shove the little Brad nails and like snip them off and then just push them right in. Shove it right in. Yeah. Force it right in there. I know you're loving that. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm going to definitely be ordering one of those. They're like 20 bucks on Amazon. So I'm not sure when I'm going to use it next, but whenever you find tools like that that are cheap, uh, it's best to get them. I could see it for small. Pro well, I could see some uses for it, but I'm so lazy. I would just say get a longer hose. Yeah. Well, for me, it would be like a really long hose or move my air, like drag my air compressor into the house, but okay. yeah. or get a second I mean, air compressor. Some hoses are longer than others. I'm not judging. I'm just saying if you need a little longer hose, don't don't be afraid to get it. Yeah. Well, to get down here, I would probably need at least like 300 feet or something. But Ooh, well, now you're just bragging. Yeah. So, uh, Brad Pusher will be much better. So, uh, now we get going into the uh, Guild and Knife Guild Show Watch. Watch. Yep. Um, so, the South Carolina Custom Knife Makers Guild. Um, we have got a hammer-in. Actually, by the time this airs, the hammer-in this weekend will have passed. Sorry, suckers. Y'all missed a hell of a show. It was awesome. But... Uh, November 13th, uh, we're going to have a guild meeting at the Dogwood Shop. Uh, would love for anybody within the sound of my voice to uh, plan on coming out to uh, Greenville uh, November 13th and join us for the one-year anniversary of the guild. Awesome things are going to happen. I'm, I'm not sure what they are quite yet, but they're going to be awesome and well worth your travels. You're going to be judging people in, too, at that one, right? Uh, yeah, the, the hammer in and this one, we're going to start jurying people in those that want to be full members of the guild. So anybody can join the guild, but if you want to be a full voting member and be juried in, bring three examples of your work that has been completed entirely by yourself and we'll, we'll jury you in based on those. Cool. And then, uh, the McKissick, uh, museum in uh, Columbia, South Carolina, October 2nd, they've got a Meet the Makers. Uh, we've talked about in the past episodes that they are doing a, a Roots of a Revival. Uh, it's, it's a museum exhibit specifically on South Carolina knife makers. And as, a, as a, an added to that, they've invited a group of makers, including myself, to come and do a presentation. So we'll talk a little bit about... In my case, uh, the new materials that are available to knife makers and how we're applying them to traditional techniques. But there'll be, I think, six other people presenting, and the exhibit is really impressive. There's a couple of hundred knives from across the spectrum in styles and makers from South Carolina. It's a really amazing exhibit. 
So I, I would encourage you to come check it out. But if you're available October 2nd, come by. You can be graced by my presence. Heckle me while I give a presentation because that'll be fun for both of us and meet some other really phenomenal knife makers. Nice. You, uh, you said KJ was going to be presenting some stuff on throwing knives, I think, too, right? Uh, I can't remember if she is October. There's, uh, we're doing something October 2nd, and then we're doing something in November. And I can't yeah. remember. Uh, it'll be in the show notes because I'll have had a chance to go by and fact check myself. But KJ is definitely going to be at one of those. She was one of the other presenters. That's what I was getting at. Yeah, well, there's, uh, there's, yeah, again, I can't remember if she's doing the October event or the November event. There's, there's two events. And then we have uh, the all-important Blade Show West oh. coming up. So uh, definitely make sure, I know Dan's going to be there. He's going to have a table. A3, baby. Right up front. A3? Yep. Man. It pays to get your check in early. Yeah. Sounds like it. Uh, hopefully I can uh, try to make it next year, uh, at least uh, to be there. Um, yeah, just with everything, all the transition and not knowing what was going to happen with work and everything, I, I wasn't able to to pull pull be able to pull the trigger on making that work. And, and that's the, the travel on that isn't cheap. That's a that's a hell of an investment when you when you get as much flux going on as you did. Well, I didn't know when my last day was going to be with work or all that stuff. So sounds like there's going to be a lot of people there. Um, lots of friends of the show. When it get, We're going to do one more podcast before that. So we're, uh, we'll try to run through some of the people to check out like we did for the last one, I think. And uh, we've got the, uh, the kitchen knife cutting competition. So it's going to be based on a blade sport competition, but it's all going to be kitchen cuts. And the way they're doing it is there's a limited number of people that can participate. And as those slots fill up, they're adding prices. So now we're just a couple of contestants away from a $500 cash prize. So it'll be, looks like it's going to be eight stations. Each station is going to be a different traditional French style uh, kitchen cut. And the winner of the open division, we're calling it the cutter division, is going to win $500 cash. Well, so first of all, you win bragging rights. You get to prove that you're the baddest in the kitchen. So that's, I mean, really, that's priceless. That That's the first and greatest thing you get. Uh, then you're going to get a trophy. And now if we get a couple more people to, to enter, there'll be a $500 cash prize. And then if they fill out everything else, there's going to be a third prize that is going to be of significant value. And that's going to be uh, Friday night of um, of Blade Show West because they're doing like a pit type event, right? They are, and actually, this is going to be pretty cool. In the past, the place that they did Blade Show in Portland, there wasn't like a pit environment. Uh, now they're going to do it. It's going to be like Blade Show East. There'll be a pit. Uh, there's a hotel lobby attached to the convention center, and this competition is actually going to take place in what would be the pit. Okay. So you can hang out in the pit and watch. We're going to do a maker's division where the people competing have to be using a knife that they made entirely by themselves. And then we're going to have an open division that is any individual that's got a blade and thinks they can win 
can step right up. And like I said, we'll run them through the course and high score, or actually in this case, low score wins um, $500 cash, uh, a trophy and bragging rights. So that you said there's a knife maker and then a open division. And then is there a professional chef one like they did last time or? Well, so the professional chefs are the open division. Okay. Yeah. So the makers division is just that it's makers. You've got to have made wholly made the knife that you're competing with. Yeah. Um, and there's a certain Canadian that fast hands, good knife. He was with last year and I want to see somebody step up. Not because he's not a phenomenal human being, but come on, man. Somebody step up and dethrone that guy. <laughs> Carter. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah, I, I really, I, he's an absolute wonderful human being, but I want to see somebody step up and give him some competition this year. Uh, and then we've got the open division. They're calling it the cutter division, and that's professional chef, the line cook that has been processing potatoes for the last 15 years, the, the kitchen chef that knows his stuff, the guy off the line can uh, open that, come in that division, and that's the the all comers division. Okay. And that's the one that's going to have the, the $500 prize if we get a couple more contestants. Okay. And as you said there's a fee to enter that? Nope, no, no fee. Oh, okay. Nope. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's free to enter. Um, on the, there's a link in the show notes that'll take you to the page, a little bit of information about yourself. Uh, they'd love a 30 second video showing your skills, but it's not required. Show up blade in hand, ready to compete. Okay. Nice. Uh, and then we've got our sponsors for the show. Phoenix abrasives has been uh, a great sponsor for the podcast. You can use the code KP 10 and get 10% off all your order. Uh, you can get a lot of uh, great abrasives. I've gotten my abrasives there for a long time. The purple belts. I was talking to Greg and he said, uh, Dan made a pretty good, uh, order the other day. I have worn out some purple belts on Magna cut today. Yeah. Yeah. How they do. Um, so far so good. I'll put bevels on tomorrow. Um, I, I've been playing with liquid nitrogen. Yeah. That shit is cool, dude. So you got a door. <laughs> What's that? You got a door or the like liquid yeah. nitrogen holder. Yep. Um, and I went ahead and, uh, uh, maybe I didn't need it, but I splurged on the 20 liter. Okay. Um, so I can do full chef's knives. Okay. Um, but yeah. And, uh, I probably should be better supervised in the shop, but I, I've been playing with it a little bit. I'm not yeah. going to lie. Uh, how long until you start making ice cream? Oh shit, that's a great idea. I can't believe I didn't think of that. <laughs> uh liquid nitrogen will make uh oil freeze too. Yes. That that's um, pretty cool. I, I have I may or may not have played the game. Should you put it in the liquid nitrogen or should you put the liquid nitrogen in it? <laughs> All right. And then uh like we mentioned earlier, Old Town Cutlery is another great uh sponsor of the podcast. And you can use KP10 uh, for all orders on their stuff, too. So if you're a knife maker, they sell belts and they sell a lot of handle material. And one of the things that I've been loving lately is the Odie's oil, the general one. I think that's what it's called. But um, 
I've been using it on uh, my sanding sticks uh, for the G10 and Micarta. Oh. And uh, I find it way easier to apply than the uh, Johnson's paste wax that I was using before that you told me about. And it really, really makes those uh, like dry fibers on the Micarta and the G10 disappear. I'll have to give them a try because they, uh, they've had some good prices on handle materials. And for the hobby guys that just want to buy like a kit blade, mm-hmm. it's a, a great one-stop shop where you can get one knife's worth of handle material, a blade blank, and then... I like the G flex that they sell. I buy it in large volume, yeah. um, but you can get everything you need to make an, make that one knife yourself. Yeah. And then realize it's really hard and a pain in the ass and it's worth it to just pay guys like Kyle and I to do it for you. And Vince. <laughs> and, um, and then they also sell a full line of production knives. So Benchmade, Spider Co. Uh, they sell a lot of, uh, I think case knives and, What's that other traditional one? They sell a lot of the antique case knives and like Hen and Rooster. They do a lot of the old school uh, folding knives. Definitely check out all the production knives from Old Town Cutlery. Um, they have lots of lots of great values there. But they specialize a lot in the traditional folder stuff, but also have a lot of like the Benchmades and Spydercos and other ones and even some automatics and stuff. And they also carry some of the best kitchen knives you can get uh, cage daily knives and dogwood custom knives. So make sure you uh, check them out for that. And then our other great sponsor of the podcast, uh, Broadbeck Ironworks and uh, Vince is going to help tell us about the new discount code for the, for the grinders. Yeah, man. So this is kind of odd because you're bringing him in, but I haven't done the introduction yet. You want to do the introduction and, you can explain the discount code. Uh, I don't know. I I feel like it's going to be anticlimactic now. Okay. Well, I'll tell you something though. Just hold on the discount code for a moment because um, we're still trying to figure some okay. stuff out. Um, it'll be like you know, it'll be like three to seven to eighteen days before this actually airs, depending on how busy Kyle is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what's what's going on is uh, we have to change our uh, pricing structure because of new entries into the grinder market and some competitors dropping their prices to compete with us. So we don't know exactly yet where we're going yeah. to be. You know, we'd like to offer some sort of discount in addition to the Moreco Platinum upgrade. But we're not sure yet. We have quite a quite a lot going yeah. on right now. Well, uh, you've been a great sponsor of the podcast, and uh, definitely want to keep going with that. Uh, I know one of the the guys I've been talking to a bunch just ordered the mega package. Uh, Matt Burchette. Uh he's really looking forward to to getting it. And uh, Vince already knows it, but Dan doesn't. Um, so I was talking to Ben Seacrest about the promo codes uh, last night, and. Uh, Ben goes, I don't know which one's active or not, so uh, just try it. Well, I I tried it, <laughs> and... Uh, and what have you bought? <laughs> so uh, my son, Luke, came over and said, what are you looking at, Daddy? And then went, and hit, and hit, the, hit, the, hit the checkout button. And it went, bing, your order has been submitted. And I was like, uh... <laughs> <laughs> don't tell your mother <laughs> so i immediately called ben and was like hey you're not gonna believe this but 
<laughs> my son decided to hit the the one absolute spot on my on my uh, phone that was the worst spot he could hit at the exact right right moment. So, I mean, dude, that that should have just been your. I'm a full time knife maker now. Present, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, look, you got to invest in a company if you wanted to grow, baby. Well, I just bought the the stainless steel one at Blade Show, so uh, which I've hey, been loving. By that the way, was yesterday we're investing in tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, I've been I've been looking at mills and uh, some surface some actual stone surface grinders. So we'll see how that goes. But but yeah, thanks, Vince, for being a sponsor of the podcast. I was so proud of Alex last night. I know this is a right turn, but I just, I got to brag on the boy. You know, I, I've got that hunting property that we're we're managing, and I've got to put in some big food plots, and I need a discarab. My buddy had come down; he'd been helping me for the last couple of years, and it's just got embarrassing. So I, I floated to Beth that hey, I, I need to buy this piece of equipment. Alex doesn't know what a discarab is. He doesn't care what a discaro is, but we're right there at the dinner table, and he turns around, and looks at me, and goes, "Well, Dad, that's that's absolutely vital. I mean, without that, we're going to have erosion issues, and it, it it could erode the the house site. And I mean, this could cost tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of damage. I mean, this is an absolutely vital piece of equipment. And I've never been so proud of that boy before in my life. I mean, he just stepped in there and had his dad's back." Nice. You know, Beth yeah, listens to the it, podcast, right? Yeah. Oh, no. She, I mean, it, it was a beautiful attempt, but she's not an idiot. <laughs> she's been around for a while. <laughs> she just sat there and laughed at the two of us working back and forth, impressed by the teamwork. But yeah, she, I mean, she cut to the heart of the matter. Very cool. Yeah. Hopefully, uh, hopefully my boys have my back in the later in life. All right. It, that's the beauty of getting to them young. Mm-hmm. You, you, they imprint on you and then you're able to mold them in those early informative years. So they're yours for the rest of your life. Okay. Um, so uh, do you want to do your intro for Vince or you want to just get right yeah, into I, it? I, you know, I feel like we're past that now. It'd be, it'd be anticlimactic. All right, events. Uh, the one of the first uh, questions we always like to start off it's with. It's a shame because it was a great one. <laughs> one of the first questions we like to start off with everybody is, uh, "Where'd you grow up and where were you born?" So, you know, it's great to be here to begin with. Um, we've been sponsoring you guys for a little bit, and you know, it's been uh, it's been great. So, it's kind of nice to have the opportunity to be here in the podcast. So, um, yeah, I was born in uh, El Salvador originally, and um, I lived there until I was 11 years old uh, in the middle of a civil war. Um, Then I came to the U.S. under political asylum um, in 89 and, uh, you know, grew up here in the uh, Maryland, Washington, D.C. area. Um, you know, did all my schooling here. I've always, you know, lived in the general area. Cool. And you're still, you're still living in the Maryland area right now, right? Yeah, I am. Okay. I am really like it here. I remember you uh, telling me at Blade Show some about doing some offshore fishing. That sounds like a blast. So if I'm ever over in that area, I'm going to be giving you a call. Yeah, man. See, this, this is the one thing that I love about here. I, I fish, I hunt, you know, I like to be outdoors every time I can. And here you got 
you know, mountain ranges and you got uh, the beach and you got the, uh, the bay. So there's just a lot of outdoors, a lot of opportunity for outdoor. If, if it weren't for the cold, it would be, it'd be amazing. I'm kind of with you there, man. You know, the older I get, the colder it seems. But, uh, uh, but yeah, it's, you know, you get the four seasons, but none of them are harsh. So, you know, by the time you're getting sick of the cold, the spring comes in. And when you're I, sick of the I'm, heat, it's cooler. So I'm Southern and really anything under 60, you should avoid. <laughs> <laughs> Today is actually uh, big news for me. I got the uh, the plumber scheduled to run the gas line uh, at the end of the month out to the garage, and I just bought a eighty thousand BTU gas heater for the garage. So hopefully, I'll be nice and toasty for the winter. Why would you need a heater, man? The same reason I, you I, you would need an air conditioner. Oh, uh, okay. So <laughs> side note: I haven't had air conditioning in my shop in the last five years. <laughs> Which explains, so you know, I had the kiln going the other day at, at like 2150, so it was a little warm. I was grinding some steel. And as some of y'all may know, you know, when it's really hot down here, there's a lot to be said for a kilt. You get some nice airflow. It had gotten ridiculously hot in the shop. So I was stripped down to shop boots, a kilt, and a leather apron grinding. No shirt? And I heard the, the the front door open, so I went out to check and see who it was. And it was somebody cold calling for, I don't know, I think internet or something. And he took a look at me with a respirator in my hand, bare-chested in a leather apron, a canvas kilt and a pair of boots, that looked me dead in the eye and said, nah, man, don't worry about it. Never mind. And <laughs> backed out of the shop. <laughs> nice. Should have worked out with a knife in your hand, man. That would have been much cooler. A sword. I, I should have had a sword. You've been saying you want to make that Gladius, right? I have, and I, man, it, it's a long version, but I've got this like two and a half foot piece of uh, SM100. So I, I, I'm going to do a Gladius, and I'm going to anodize it like a deep cobalt blue as soon as I finish like the last eight months worth of back orders, but it's going to happen. Nice. So Vince, what or uh, do you remember what your first knife was? It was that when you were in uh, uh, El Salvador or El Salvador. So first, first knife is a knife that I own or knife that I made. Uh, let's go with knife or a knife that you were given or first knife that you bought. First knife that you owned. Um, yeah. I, I think um, I, I was, I always use knives as tools, you know, so I had a, a Henkel's five-star kitchen knife set, which I absolutely loved, you know, for the longest time until I learned about, you know, handmade real knives. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, I think my first uh, hunting knife was like a buck knife, yeah. you know, something kind of, something pretty normal. So did you do much hunting in El Salvador when you were younger or what? Uh, no, not really. Um, you got to remember, we're in the middle of a civil war over there. So, um, you know, you couldn't just go out in the mountains. You know, you can get um, recruited. By a, a lot of recreational walking around with a gun. No, no. El Salvador, like a lot of other countries, you know, it started with gun control. And then once people were disarmed, the government kind of 
took over and um, just like it's been seen all over the world. So it was very hard to have, you know, firearms to begin with, you know, to be able to go out and hunt. Yeah. So did you do much fishing or just nothing? And I did. I did used to, uh, I used to fish and crab a good bit over there. Ooh. Um, ooh. Crab's one of my favorite foods. My dad and my grandpa and my aunt used to have beach houses. We were upper middle class when we lived over there. So, um, you know, they used to have a caretaker and they had kids our age. So we would go out and, you know, fish and, and look for crabs and the mangroves. And, you know, it was a lot of fun. What kind of crabs were they? Were they like the, the Maryland ones or were they? They have those over there, but the, the crabs that we used to go for, um, they're, they're actually really pretty. The, um, like the, the shell, it's, um, like a really, like a cobalt blue and the legs are red. Huh. Hmm. Um, you know, so it's, it's, uh, you know, tropical type of, of crab. So is that more body meat or still leg meat? Um, is the Maryland one. It was kind of everything really, you know, they have, they had just, you know, a lot of the claw meat, obviously, and, uh, you know, body meat and the legs and all of that. I mean, they're relatively small. They're probably like, uh, maybe five inches. The, their culture was like us Southerners. You ate every part that was edible. Yeah. Yep. Huh. Well, you know, people, when, when you're hungry, mm-hmm. you know, you don't want to waste anything. Yep. Believe me, chitlins wasn't the first thing we served. <laughs> nice. Um, did, when you crabs, did you, uh, were y'all picking them out of the surf or did you use like a little piece of meat and lure them into a net or? So, um, they actually dug holes in the mud just above the water line. Mm-hmm. So what we would do is we would take like a couple of jugs of water. And when the tide was down, it would leave the holes exposed. So then we would go and we would pour water into the holes and they would come out thinking that the high tide was coming in and we would, we would grab them. Yeah. Nice. Um, kind of like, I think it's stone crabs that'll, uh, people will dig them out. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was a kid, we'd go after blue crabs and we'd find, we'd go out to a causeway and get a, a rancid piece of chicken and attach it to a net and we'd drop the net down and wait for the crabs to walk in and go after the chicken and then pull the nets up. Hmm. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, you know, the Maryland is known for the blue crab and you know, that's a lot of fun too. We do uh, what's called a trot line about yeah. uh, 1200, you know, feet of line with a uh, bait tied about a foot apart. Um, and then you just run your boat parallel to the line and you scoop them out. So it's, uh, that's pretty hell fun. Of a trot line. It's, uh, it's a lot of work, but right now a bushel of crab here is about 400 bucks. So Holy you know shit. what you go, you have some fun and you eat some crabs and you have a couple of beers and I don't know that that's uh, that's a good day on my book. Yeah. So here's the real dividing question. Are you old Bay or Zatarans? I'm old Bay man for your crab oil. I'm sorry. I'm old day for sure. I, I'm sorry. I, I couldn't hear you. What was that? <laughs> I got your back fence. I'm old bay too, Dan. <laughs> yeah. When I went to visit uh, one of my buddies from college, he his first job was in Baltimore and I flew out there to visit him. And 
uh, we got 12 of the extra large ones. I think we it was like 250 bucks for 12 crabs yeah. at the the restaurant and I was the we were we were kind of like watching the other people around us with like the mallets and and then the lady next to us goes you've never cracked these before <laughs> and <we> go no <laughs> and it took us like I don't know, three and a half hours. And it was mainly, it was mainly me. Uh, Cause my buddy gave up after like two crabs and he ordered like another shrimp cocktail. And, uh, <laughs> and I, uh, I was, you know, yeah, finished off the crabs. I had so many like uh, cuts on my hands that the old bay was like burning in the cuts and stuff. And, oh, but they were so good. Yeah, man. I just went um, crabbing with a buddy of mine and we caught, a full bushel and about half the bushels were eight inch tip to okay. tip Damn. crabs. I mean, they're this time of the year is actually the best time to go crabbing, you know, between now and, you know, early November, uh, cause they're, they're full and they're all real big. Yeah. Cool. Um, this is a little bit of a, a, a right turn, but, uh, I understand you used to play a lot of the feet ball. A lot of what? <laughs> uh, feet ball. <laughs> I mean, you yeah, know, the ball so, that you play with the feet. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I grew up playing soccer. That was kind of my life, man. It um, kept me out of uh, a lot of trouble because, um, you know, I was always training. I, I used to live like two blocks away from an indoor soccer arena. And, you know, I actually went to school with his son. And one of the owners was Alan Kelly, who played the 1957 World Cup for Ireland. And um, I used to train with him. I used to work at his camps and then he would, you know, train me in exchange. And so I was pretty highly ranked um, soccer player, you know, here, you know, I was actually going to go into uh, the farm teams for the DC United until I got injured and, and couldn't continue to play. The indoor soccer you were playing, is it like speed soccer where they've got hard walls along the, the sidelines and you can play what would have been out of touch or is it more like a traditional soccer field? Yeah. So the indoor, you can play off the walls. Um, it's, it's kind of a mix of, you know, soccer and hockey. I mainly played outdoor, but, you know, I, we used to go pick up games and I used to get, you know, 20 bucks a game and I would pay, I would play, you know, two, three matches for people and a night and, you know, go up there three nights a week. I mean, you know, for a high school dude in the mid nineties. Yeah. You could, you could buy a whole tank of gas for 20 bucks, you know, and you're raking what? Let's see. 60, 120. Yeah, it's like, you know, like 180 bucks a week, just oh. picking up some games. That was pretty, pretty decent. I mean, it was much better than working at McDonald's. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. yeah that's, uh, that's solid. Yeah, man, I was I was playing men's leagues when I was in ninth grade. So, yeah, I played outdoor for a little while and then discovered indoor and realized you didn't have to run as much. <laughs> and I love that. And then I started playing goalie and it was awesome. Well, that's what I played. And and, oh, and the funny thing is that I'm I'm only five five, but um, I used to be able to touch the crossbar, which is eight feet with one step. So my vertical was crazy and my angles game was really good so um you know yeah that was that was my position when i play goalie that was the other advantage is i was only five nine and the smaller goal was was my friend <laughs> nice. 
I played I played some soccer uh, up until I got to middle school, and then I started doing American football and wrestling and stuff. The same thing happened to me when I started getting some hair on my chin. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, uh, so you mentioned you uh, got hurt and had to stop playing soccer. Uh, was that after high? That was after high school, I assume, or yeah. So. So after I graduated high school, I mean, back then, uh, the MLS was just getting put together. I mean, we had the 94 World Cup here. And then, um, you know, I graduated in 96. And um, I was working with Alan Kelly, who had ended up becoming the first goalkeeper coach for the DC United. And so I was working with him and, um, you know, just, just kind of waiting for things to fall uh, into place and, you know, I was playing in some of the leagues, you know, here locally, and then I tore my right hamstring. But uh, oh. instead of tearing it uh, lengthwise, I tore it across. Hmm. So that took me about a year to get it back. And then the day that I came back, I tore my left one. And, you know, it's pretty much impossible to come back um, and play at that level with you know, two severe injuries and, you know, not playing for, for two years. So um, kind of hung it up and just uh, started working and, you know, going to school and just move on from there. Listen to the universe this time. <laughs> so you started working and then went to college or? So the interesting thing is um, I graduated 98th percentile in the U.S. academically. And but when I graduated, I was here under political asylum still. So what happens is um, I actually got a full ride to the George Washington School of Engineering because um, I used to do competitions. My high school was a magnet school for technology. So I used to do all kinds of competitions, you know, for them. I was all the tech programs, you know. So when I got that, I mean, I was pretty much, you know, set. I figured, you know, if the soccer didn't, play out, I was just, you know, I would have that in my back pocket. You know, as it turns out, that's what happened. But when I went to sign for my scholarship, um, they tell me that they required either a green card or a citizenship. And I'm like, well, you know, I, I'm here legally. I have all the paperwork here. But they ended up denying the scholarship on the spot. Hmm. And what happens when you're an international student, you know, the way you're, um, the way it works is you're college, your in-state tuition is obviously the cheapest, then you have out-of-state tuition, and then you have international tuition. And the international tuition is about three times the cost. So I just started, you know, working full-time, going to school full-time, just trying to, you know, get an education. I was, I started with electrical engineering, actually. And since I was doing competitions for the college, too, they would, you know, cut me a break on, uh, on my tuition a little bit. And then, um, you know, kind of got some scholarships and I did a uh, co-op program. You know, the company that I co-op with ended up hiring me and, you know, just kind of kept going from there. So it's time to get to an important question. Sure. I mean, the deep dive is, it, that's nice and all, but what people really want to know is the Dan Cotton scale. You mentioned that you're married. So where on the Dan Kyle scale do you feel like your marriage fell? If you're not familiar, Dan picked his wife up 
uh, at his at her grandmother's wake, and I met my my wife on eHarmony, and uh, a little more a little more traditional. Tell, tell you what, we'll save we'll save you. I'll tell you. I'll tell you effort. You tell us the story, and we'll we'll rate. I'll it tell you me. the story. So, I used to go to church, and I used to play guitar for the church. And they invited us to guitar players always get the chicks. Yeah, man, absolutely, dude. So, you know, we were um, we were invited to play at a a youth retreat in Connecticut. And I met my wife, who was from New York City. I met her at that camp in Connecticut. And we did the, you know, long distance thing for a few months. And I used to drive up there like every other week just to hang out with her for the weekends. And uh, then she moved over here. And about a year later, we got married. That's that's really conflicting. I mean, met her at camp, but it was a church camp. It was a musical gig. That's feeling really like kind of walking the line at 50-50. I think it's pretty pretty (laughs) close to me. Of course you do. <laughs> yeah, that's see cool. that, that that's the thing, man. I've I've always I've always paid my own road, man. Mm-hmm. I don't take sides. <laughs> <laughs> nice. You know, walking down the middle of the road is how you get hit. <laughs> so, uh, so you mentioned you got we started in electrical engineering, and then I think you said you did some mechanical also. Yeah, so I was working in a um, prototype shop, electrical mechanical, and. Uh, the mechanical engineer that we had actually really, really sucked. So I kept fixing a lot of issues <laughs> that he would produce. And I was constantly, you know, marking up stuff because um, he's one of these, you know, theoretical guys that had never taken a screwdriver in hand. So, you know, we were in a design review and, uh, you know, he went over his presentation and then um, it was actually a watertight enclosure you know, he finishes the presentation. I raised my hand and he said, what, Vince? And, you know, like already annoyed. And I was like, well, you know, you have your gasket going around the outside, but you have the screw holes on the inside of the gasket. <laughs> and then everybody started laughing at him and he got so mad. And he was like, well, if you think you know so much, why don't you do it yourself? So I asked the CEO if I could do it. And uh, long story short, I learned, taught myself how to use the 3D modeling tools and kind of learn how to design and, Ended up taking his job and worked for that company for 11 and a half years. Yeah. Nice. Never ask a question you don't want to hear the answer to. <laughs> or, or if you don't want it, if you don't want any feedback, don't ask for questions at the end of the presentation. Well, you know, it's if nobody, nobody had caught it, which was surprising to me. But and, yeah. uh, you know, if we all signed off on it. So I didn't want to put my signature on something I definitely didn't believe in. Mm-hmm. So. Well, that that would have been a high end failure. Absolutely. Yeah, it's hard to be watertight tight with that. Yeah, yeah. So, so you mentioned doing that. How did you get started making knives uh, in all that, or where did that fall into the the timeline? Yeah. So, yeah. So I started hunting. You know, when I was in my early twenties. You know, so at that time I was working for that company in the machine shop. You know, I was, um, I wanted a custom knife. And uh, when I started looking at custom knives and saw how much they cost, and obviously I didn't have the money to 
to buy one, I was like, well, you know, I, I, I kind of know how to use all these tools. I'm just going to apply it to something different. So I ended up, you know, making my own, you know, I think I bought the ugliest knives I could find on eBay because I wanted them to be Damascus. And then I reprofiled and, you know, make a couple of drop points. And, you know, that, that those were my first, uh, my first knives. And, um, you know, I, of course I posted a picture on Facebook because, you know, I was pretty proud of myself and my now best friend was about to get married. I had just met him a couple of weeks prior. And so he calls me up and he's like, Hey man, you know, I'm about to get married. I, I tried to talk him out of it, but he just wouldn't listen, you know? Um, but he was like, yeah, man, let me, um, can, can, can you make me a knife for my best man? And I was like, yeah, sure. I mean, I didn't have a backlog or anything. So I made him one and he posted the picture on Facebook and long story short, I've been making knives ever since. Okay. So where, where did that fall into the, the timeline? Was that like right after you graduated college or? Was that before? Uh, no, I ended up having to drop out of college because I, I was, I did about two years, you know, cause I was working full time and going to school full time and that gets old real quick. Mm. And, you know, then I got married and, you know, that's kind of where kind of around the timeline when that happened. So a lot of changes during that time. Yeah. It, it's all fun and games bringing a report card home bringing a report card home to your wife, that is a whole nother level, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was always a really good student. You know, I, I, I liked school. It was just, you know, near down impossible under the circumstances that I was having to do it. And I mean, school is expensive as is, you know, not being able to apply for student loans or anything and just having to pay everything cash out of pocket, man. It was, it was rough. Dan's got a freshman in college right now. He's, he's all about, it was all about the prices. Well, imagine paying triple that. Yeah. And he's gotta be cash. Yeah. Yeah. And actually I got to hand it to the kid. Um, he earned enough, uh, enough scholarships that, Right now, his college education is costing us less than his high school did. That's awesome. Good for him. Um, but he's, yeah, he, he he's scary smart. He takes after his mom. I probably didn't need to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I got you some bonus points. Yeah, but uh, I was a terrible student. And then um, once we got married and I went back to school, I suddenly became a really good student. <laughs> Nice. So what was one of your what was one of your favorite knives you've made so far? Um uh, the favorite knives that I have right now are the ones I made um recently with Salem Straub. I got the opportunity to go and hang out with Salem for, you know, 4 days and did some mosaic Damascus. Nice. And um we did a couple of French knives and uh it, it was just for one thing, it was a bucket list, you know, thing for me because I always wanted to, you know, meet him. He was one of the guys when I was first getting started and I was asking questions that always took the time to, you know, write back to me. He even called me one time, which I thought was pretty mind blowing for me. So, um, yeah, those 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 knives right now are, are really my my favorite knives. Yeah, he did like a like a Egyptian like. I don't even know what you call that. The like squares that like kind of go back and forth. 
um like along the edge of uh some of his like kitchen knives yeah where it's uh like you see it like around the top of like vases and stuff like on a lot of the egyptian stuff oh like a key pattern um I don't know if key patterns right, but any any case, he like does a lot of like crazy mosaic stuff that just yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of guys doing mosaic are just doing explosions or some manipulation of an explosion. But um, you know, the stuff that he comes up with, it's it's just very very unique, and he gets bored easily, and he's constantly making new <laughs> stuff, and it's just mind blowing. And and he was so generous you know, with his knowledge and sharing it. And I, I think um, I, I absolutely love the knives, but, you know, the experience, you know, make them even more meaningful for sure. Yeah. I love how like uh, on the S grinds and stuff that he does uh, for his kitchen knives, how he has that like pattern, like it be part of the the S grind, like line up with the, how he grinds the, the compound bevels and stuff. Yeah, I mean, he's... He's definitely one of my favorite makers, you know, for sure. And like I said, just, um, you know, he was one of the guys that I want to be like when I grew up, you know, just uh, in, in all aspects, just from the talent, but also just his humbleness and his willing to help. And, you know, I'm starting to have guys occasionally, you know, reach out and, hey, man, how do you do this? And, you know, how do you get your Damascus so black? And, you know, so it's it's um it's kind of a privilege to me now to start sharing, you know, the little bit that I know and start passing that knowledge just so like, you know, some others did for me. Very cool. What knife do you use the most? I would have to be a nine inch chef, French pattern. It's I, I cook a lot. I love to cook. I do most of the cooking in the house. So that's kind of my go to. So what's your what's your what's your go to dish? What's your what's your favorite? Ooh man, I um Dude, I'm a steak guy. And what I like to do is a little bit of a fusion uh, where you take a Brazilian picanha, which is your tri-tip with the cap, with the fat cap still on. And then I do an Argentinian chimichurri to go on top of that. Mm. And then you throw that on the grill, uh, sear it, and then let that fat render and baste the whole steak. And if your mouth is not watering right now, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> or, or you haven't eaten anything like that before. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm not going to lie. I'm a little excited yeah. right now. Yeah. Dan, Dan is uh, a foodie, but don't ask him what, what stuff that he eats is called. Cause he, uh, he was having trouble remembering uh, some of the food they served at the guild meeting. Yeah, well, you know, my, my lasagna is pretty good, in my, too. In my defense, there were three chefs all showing off, and I couldn't remember the fancy French term for toast with good shit on top of it. <laughs> for the, for the yeah, listeners, I mean, that's I, bruschetta. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I like to cook a lot. Like, I, my lasagna is pretty good. I, I make a, a mm. stuffed tenderloin with sun-dried tomatoes and mushrooms. And uh, and bacon, which is pretty pretty good. And do you do that like a pinwheel? Uh, yeah, I flatten the whole the whole tenderloin, so it's about a quarter inch thick, and then I load it up, roll it, and then throw it on the grill. So it comes out really really good. Yeah, awesome. Where do you draw your your inspiration for for your knife making? Is it uh, you mentioned you make some kitchen knives and you make some hunting knives? 
where do you draw most of your inspiration from? So my, my the theme for my forge uh, has always been field to table. So I make all the knives from for taking care of game or on the water or out in the field and processing the game and, you know, cooking and I'll make you a steak knife so that, you know, you can go end to end. So a lot of my inspiration comes from, you know, working with these different knives and working with people that work with knives all day long. Obviously, guys like, you know, Salem and Mareko Mamasi, and, you know, they inspire me with the patterns and different things. But uh, for me, it's got to be functional, you know. I So I kind of draw inspirations from both ends from a, you know, uh, from a beauty standpoint, but also from a practical, because at the end of the day, the knife should be a tool mm. and it should be a working oh. tool and it should be a good working tool. Functional art. Yeah. Yep. So Forged and Fire, how was that experience? Well, Forged and Fire and uh, Jay Nielsen pretty much changed and transformed my life. That experience was pretty awesome. Uh, you know, the competition itself was really, really cool. I mean, it is a, a real deal competition. I mean, it's, it's. Uh, I know... You know, people wonder how much, you know, TV magic is in there. Um, and, and there is quite a bit, really, because a lot goes into the editing. But um, it is a true competition. I mean, you really do have a clock and you're really doing, you know, what what they say you're supposed to be doing. So, you know, it was really, really cool. I, I met uh, Ryan Broadbeck, you know, my business partner. We competed against each other in our episode. And uh, after the first round, we were sitting at the hotel in the lobby, having a drink. And, um, you know, he told me about a grinder he had, and I, I had, um, I wanted to get into the grinder market, but I kind of started the other way. And I had done the market analysis for the grinder market. So we kind of, I, you know, pitched them you know, to kind of work together instead of you tried competing against each other and that wasn't so much fun. So you decided to work together. <laughs> yeah so you know then the the funny thing is you know jay told us hey man is there anything i can do you know just let us know let me know and a lot of people say that but don't mean it when i reached out to him he meant it so we offered him a grinder one of the first five prototypes um for him to give us feedback you know ended up replacing you know four grinders in his shop and uh, he basically had just taken pity on us. And he was like, yeah, I guess I can use a second grinder for when I have classes or whatever, you know, because it was going to be free. So, and uh, he ended up absolutely loving it. And then he bought a second one and it went completely nuts from there, man. So had, had I not met, you know, Ryan and Jay, you know, at that show, I would probably still be managing an engineering team in China. Nice. You know, there's got to be some sort of count on the number of engineers that have become knife makers. My mentor, uh, one of, especially one of my early mentors, was an electrical. He was a licensed electrical engineer before he became a knife maker. And I could always tell the day that his student loan payment was due, because he'd be in a foul mood. Five freaking years. Do you know how far along in my career I would be? Do you know the money I could have saved? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, 
you know, you have a lot of, a lot of engineers do have a lot of creative aspects to them. You know, a lot of them are into music or some sort of art. Um, yeah. At least I see that a lot. They're, they're artists that understand math. Uh, that's a great way to put it. Yep. So if somebody was thinking about doing Forged and Fire, what, uh, what advice would you give them? We've had a few people uh, ask us a lot about, they're like submitting an application, if they think they should do it or not. Uh, what advice would you give some people like that? I would say you're never going to be 100% ready to do it because you just have no clue what they're going to throw at you. So just preparing the basic things, you know, how to do Damascus and different patterns in Damascus, how to do your canister Damascus and make sure you know how to forge well and you know how to forge a knife. I mean, and it doesn't have to be, you know, super fancy. And the other thing is once you go into the competition, just remember that you're not making a knife that you're going to sell to somebody. You're making a knife that needs to meet the competition parameters and perform in the competition. I, I see a lot of guys just kind of get absorbed by the details and trying to, you know, make things perfect where that's not what the show is about. That's not what the competition is about. You may not have glue lines on a knife you sell, but the judges don't care if there's glue lines. Yep. Yeah. So you had mentioned you met Ryan Broadbeck. How has that relationship kind of impacted your whole engineering direction? So, you know, after, after we talked at, uh, at the hotel, um, you know, Ryan was getting the first prototype, you know, cut, laser cut. And then uh, he ended up sending it to me here after he got played with it. And then he came down and I redesigned, you know, a good bit of it based on some ideas that I had, you know, for the grinder that I wanted to design. Then we we kind of, we, we started hitting the market in uh, August of 19. And... Danny just took off. I mean, we, the company just exploded. Um, you know, we wanted to produce a machine that a working man could afford. Um, that's why we try to cut cost in, you know, paint and assembly. And, you know, we, we designed the machine to fit into uh, flat rate boxes so that people didn't have to pay, you know, $300 in shipping. You know, a lot of that resonated with people we do our best to take care of the person instead of just trying to sell them stuff, you know, that just resonates with them. You know, when people feel that you actually care and that you're trying to help them, um, you know, really, really drove us and gave us growth, you know, real, real fast. Well, in attention to detail, the little things like shipping, People won't think about, but it's all fun and games until you go to check out and all of a sudden your price has gone up 20% just on shipping. Well, that's, that was the thing, you know, we decided at, at the time, a lot of the grinder companies have actually now are following our business plan and are following the stuff that we did because it worked so well. But at the time, they used to nickel and dime you. You know, you would buy a small wheel attachment, but it didn't come with small wheels. And you, then you had to buy the arm to use your small wheel attachment. And then you had to buy a hardware kit to put it together. And then they charged you tax and shipping. And if you paid with a credit card, they charged you another 3%. So we decided that we were going to have one price 
and the price was going to include everything and it was going to include shipping. And that was kind of revolutionary, you know, two years ago because nobody was doing that. It's very customer focused. Exactly. Um, you know, that way people, you know, if it was 1500 bucks, people knew that it was going to be $1,500 to their door. So what are some of the most surprising challenges as your business has grown? What were some of the things you weren't expecting that uh, came up? COVID has been crazy. I mean, we don't know what normal is, to be honest with you. I mean, we started August 2019. We were just starting to get our feet under us. And then COVID hit in 2000. And with people being trapped at home, the company just exploded, you know. And, you know, now we're seeing a lot of the aftermath of it. You know, we had parts that we get. I mean, steel has quadrupled in price, you know, since January. So it's forced us to, you know, raise prices because we just can't afford to, you know, eat that up. And then, um, you know, the lead time, some things, you know, some, some items we would get in two to three weeks, we're now having to order, you know, 14 weeks ahead. So it's, it's been really challenging because we want to make sure to, you know, have everything we need to, you know, to be in business and to support our customers and, you know, to continue to be productive and, you know, continue to deliver. You got any business questions there, Dano? Um, you know, I, I thought about it, but that was, so actually, I, full disclosure, I have been using uh, one of your tool rests since uh, Blade Show and talking about kind of customer facing and, and attention to details. That is one of the most phenomenal tools I've used in a long time. Um, the range of move. Um, so it, outside, it looks like a flat tool rest, but I can shift it left or right. So right. when I'm working with longer stock, you know, it used to be I'd have to stand way off to one side of the grinder and work towards myself or come the other way. And it, it's a little thing, but it has made my life so much easier. So I know I'm supposed to be focused on the business side of things, but that is one of the things that I've really enjoyed working with. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, you know, we basically took a lot of what we hated about a lot of grinders that we had worked with. And that was one of those things that we really dislike about what a lot of other people were doing. Um, And that's how that design came about. And also thinking about, you know, a lot of people freehand, but a lot of a lot of people also are, are, are using uh, jigs and just being able to extend that, you know, for longer knives or even swords or, you know, doing foldering and so forth. Um, we felt that was a good feature. I know a lot of the folder maker guys really love the, the bigger uh, plate so that they can use their jig uh, because trying to nail some of those grinds on those small blades, it's really hard to hold them uh, where you need to without a jig. Yep. You know, and even my mentor, which absolutely hammered freehanding, I mean, he was all about freehand, but his asterisk was the scanty grind. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's like, look, that's a very narrow window. You know, when you're freehanding, if you're a few degrees off, nobody cares. So he's like, on the scanty grind, everybody cares. Yep. Um, and that's one of those ones that I know very few makers that won't pull either a jig or a guide to pull their scanty grind. 
So the, the cool thing about the Broadback is you can actually tilt the platen forward. Um, I do my Scandi grinds uh, 11 and a half degrees per side. So I just tilt it forward and then I attach my blank to a piece of angle steel. There's your jig. I mean, it, yeah. it's cheap and uh, it works like a charm. Yeah. Um, and it gives you plenty of freedom of movement. So depending on the blade shape, you're not locked in. No. Because some of the guys I've seen that'll build jigs, they only work for specific blade shape. It doesn't give them enough range of movement for different blade shapes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, with uh, between the width and the length of our platen, not the, not the platen, but the uh, tool rest, it really just, there's, there's a lot of room to work with um, in there. The other interesting thing is on underneath the main uh, tool rest, there's a slotted table, um, and we have a lot of makers because you know our, our grinders. It's not just for knife makers; it's, it's for makers all around. And people that are doing pipe fitting uh, with the grinder will do their own jigs. And since it's got that slot in there, they're able to secure their jigs onto the tool rest and are able to do just about anything they want or need. So like grinding in the, the radius on a tube or something to, to weld or correct. Oh, I hadn't uh, even thought Paul, about that. Yeah. Paul Cox, he's um, one of the OGs, you know, motorcycle builders from back in the day. And he uses one of our grinders and he builds his own chassis and everything. So uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I probably put the, the cart before the horse talking about something as specific as the, the tool rests. I guess what we should start with is what's what's the, like if somebody decides to buy a grinder and if you've done a little bit of research, you know that that can be a very different, yeah. One person's grinder is just the framework and then you got to buy the motor and you got to buy the tool arms and you, like when you go to buy one of y'all's grinders, do you have kind of a, a standard package and then you build off of that or is it a... So we... We offer, you know, three basic packages. You know, we have our mega package that comes with absolutely all the attachments we make, um, except for the surface grinder and the disc sander, because those are more unique tools. And then we have our premium package, which is your kind of your basic knife maker setup with your contact wheel, small wheel attachment, flat platen, motor, VFD, uh, chassis. And then... Um, we have our max package that uh, doesn't come with a eight or 10 inch wheel, but now with the Mareco platen that includes a four inch wheel, you know, it, it's a great way to enter knife making, particularly if you're not doing a lot of hollow grinds, you know, for, for less money, you know, just making it more affordable for people to, to start working, you know, so uh, those are main packages. And then we have a build your own, option because we don't believe in pinning people into buying what they don't need. Um, so under the build your own option, you can pick the chassis, you can select which attachments you want and, you know, which motor, whether you want a direct drive or you want a variable speed and, you know, you pretty much can build whatever you, whatever grinder you want. So you've got everything from the, the newbie package of here's what you're going to need to the I've been doing this for 15 years and I want something really specific. Exactly. Because, some, you know, the other thing we did is um, we designed a quick change arm because one thing that we do different is we attach all the attachments to the platen. 
Um, that saves you a lot of clutter from having a bunch of arms laying everywhere. And it also lowers our cost and it lowers your price. Um, what we try to do is pass those savings to you guys. You know, obviously we're in business to make money and support our families, but, you know, we, we try to share the savings with you guys as well. And, um, you know, so we did this quick change arm so that people that don't have our grinder can still buy our attachments because we feel that nobody has all the attachments that we have. You know, that way, even if you have a KMG or you have an origin machine or whatever you have, um, we're not going to arm bar you into, you know, buying a new machine. Um, well, and vice versa, if you decide to upgrade to one of y'all's machines, you don't have to buy all new attachments. Correct. And and some people do that as well. You know, they'll say, well, I already have an eight inch wheel. And we're like, yeah, well, just do the build your own and use the one you have. You might need a few extra washers here and there to get the spacing right. But, you know, definitely a lot cheaper than buying a whole new uh, contact wheel. I mean, some of some of the grinder manufacturers, you know, force you to buy everything or nothing. And, um, you know, we, we just decided we wanted to be different and we wanted to be customer focused and we wanted to get people started on our brand early and we wanted to just help people um, achieve what they want to achieve, just like we're achieving our dreams and, and growing and doing what we're doing. We want people, you know, to feel that same way. It makes it easy to start with y'all and grow or, or to transition from someone else to y'all. Yeah. I mean, the, the other thing that's happened to us a lot is where people just buy a few attachments and, you know, six months later, they, they, they buy the rest of the machine, you know, just between the customer support and just the quality of the tools, you know, they're like, you know, they, they, they make that transition. Yeah. One of the things I love about your guys' machines is how you, uh, utilized a lot of carriage bolts with the uh, square cutouts uh, in the in the steel, and then you were able to use those uh, those quick quick handles, uh, being able to move the like eight inch wheel up and down. I think it probably moves up and down like at least two two or three inches either way. Yeah, I I ended up getting the ten inch wheel, and I'm thinking about getting a a fourteen and an eight inch that just because I like how that feature so much. Yeah. I mean, it's again, when we designed the grinder, we were thinking of the new guy and the guy that's been doing it forever and trying to control a hollow grind can be pretty difficult. So again, you can change the point of tangency of the wheel against the edge of the knife. And then all you have to do is drag the knife across the tool rest, like you would a flat grind and you end up with a perfect hollow grind every time so just making things easier you know for for people to start producing better knives that they can sell and can start being successful sooner yeah well being able to put that being able to put that arm in the different tool slot uh because like some of the like when i use a small wheel attachment for shaping my handles i like it to be higher but when i on my machine that i have now uh, it just has one tooling or, or before I got the Broadback one, it just had the one tooling arm spot and the eight inch wheel was a little high for where I like to hold it for doing my handle shaping. So being able to like use that adjustment in the the arm and stuff there, that was, that was a big, big help in doing my handles. 
Yeah, I mean, for, for us, the other thing is we really wanted the machine to be 100% toolless. And um, most of us are not terribly organized in our shops. So spending five, 10 minutes looking for a wrench or looking for something, that's a lot of frustration. So just being able to reconfigure the machine completely in 30 seconds of le- or less it's, it's huge. Um, you know, I actually have a master's in business, you know, the time studies that we've done as far as efficiency, because time is money. And every time you start saving 15 seconds here and 30 seconds and five minutes and 10 minutes, um, you end up producing knives faster. And by producing knives faster, you mean you can make more knives per month and that directly increases your profitability. So we designed the machine with that in mind. I didn't appreciate how much time tool changing tools affected me because I was when I was working into Fiddleback Forge, we had three or four grinders and we were all kind of everybody shared. So you could set up a different tool on each grinder and you just worked your way back and forth. And then when I went out on my own and just had the one grinder and was constantly changing platens on or having to change tools, and to your point, find the right wrench. I was amazed at how much time you eat up. Yeah, I, I run two machines in my shop. And again, being an engineer, I always like to do time studies and things like that. And I, I build knives in, in groups of four when I can. And I do subsequent setups in each one of the machines. And adding the second machine uh, reduced my build time by 25%. Yep. which is huge. I mean, you know, if you're you know, being able to produce an extra, you know, two knives and say they're whatever, 375, 400 bucks, you know, next thing you know, you're, you're producing an extra, um, you know, 800, $900 a week, you know, that becomes real very, very quickly. And the return on investment on the machine is, it was just pretty incredible actually. Yeah, it was a it was a big moment in my shop life when I could afford the second machine. Cause I I do the same thing is running two machines parallel. Yep. Um, and it might be eight inch wheel on a small contact wheel on the other side, or a flat platen and a wheel, so I can just work back and forth. Yeah, it makes a huge difference in your efficiency for sure. Yeah, there have been a couple times where I was shaping a handle like. I should put the uh, small wheel attachment back on to get that with the handle. I'm like, ah, I'll just hit it with the file. And then I'm like, I should have should have put the small wheel attachment back on. <laughs> 15 minutes later. Why didn't I just do yeah. this? <laughs> so one of the things I also appreciated with you and your company, um, you worked with like uh, Pirate Forge, uh, Mareco, you had mentioned before with some of the other products. If someone has an idea for uh for a product that they'd like to see for one of your grinders or something to be brought to the market, would you be a good person to contact for that? Or yeah, either either Ryan or I. You know, my email is you know Vince at Broadback Ironworks and uh, dot com, and Ryan's is Ryan at Broadback Ironworks dot com. Um, yeah, we we're always looking for feedback and we're always looking for ideas and. Um, you know, the, the reason I think we're on the 14th or 15th iteration of the machine because we keep getting this feedback 
things that we can improve. And I mean, the changes are pretty minor at this point, but, um, you know, they, they, they still make a difference. I mean, the Mareco Platin, just having that clearance all around is, is going to be, uh, a, a game changer again, you know, for, um, uh, for a lot of makers, uh, just not having the obstruction of the arm. So again, he, uh, Mareco had a, uh, platen that he welded together years ago and, you know, he wanted to use that because he did what he needed it to do. So he put a sketch together for us and, you know, we, we spent, um, it took almost a year to, to get it designed to, to where it was, you know, exactly what, what he wanted and what we wanted to do. So. And I, I really like that, uh, that sharpening system that you worked with, uh, Pirate Forge to do. Yeah. So we, we just finished the third iteration on, on that sharpening system. And, uh, we're going to be running our third and hopefully, uh, last round of prototyping. So we're hoping to have that pre-sale go live here in, in not too long. The quality of the edges that that sharpening system is producing is, it's, it's really, really, really impressive. And with the variable speed, um, being able to control your temperature and, and not overheat your edges is, it's pretty, pretty remarkable. Yeah. One of the things that I, uh, really liked when I saw it was you could turn it like super slow and with the wheels on there, the belt didn't start slipping because that's usually what I what I notice with a lot of grinders is when you turn them down super slow, then the the belt just kind of stops because um, there's not enough yeah. friction on the 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 drive wheel. Yeah, we um we we approach things very very differently, um, you know, for for the sharpening system to make sure that we had the low end torque that we needed. Um, not going to tell you the secret sauce, but, uh, we, that was one of the big things that we, we, we designed into the machine to make sure that you had that low end tor- uh, torque that would allow you to, you know, run the machine slow. Nice. Uh, is there any other, any other things, any, anything coming up that you'd like to let the listeners know about? Yeah. So we're, we just did a final review on the adjustable tool rest. Uh, we brought a very early prototype to Blade Show. We kind of went completely in a completely different direction and did something that's pretty different from what everyone else is doing. We find ourselves doing that quite a lot. We kind of like to not just be another Me Too guy, but kind of earn our bread and make something completely different. So that's going to be coming out soon. We sent out drawings to cut the first round of prototypes on that uh, today. So, yeah, so that'll be coming up here shortly. And if uh, people want to get in touch with you or learn more about you, where can they find you, Vince? Um, again, the easiest thing is just uh, via email, you know, Vince at broadbackironworks.com. Um, or you can go to our website. We have uh, both uh, sales contact in a customer service contact. Um, I usually take care of all the sales related questions. Uh, ben helps us with, you know, most of the customer service through the website, uh, via email, you know, all that works. Yeah. And dreamer forge on Instagram. I know. Yeah. So with, uh, 
you know, Broadbeck going as crazy as he has, you know, Dreamer Forge has uh, become more of uh, a hobby for me. Uh, fortunately or unfortunately, I'm not quite sure yet because <laughs> um, I do miss getting in the shop and making some knives. But um, yeah, my my forge is Dreamer Forge Knives and I'm on Facebook and Instagram and kind of post whenever I can. Cool. Do you have anything else, Dan? I don't. I really feel like we kind of covered everything. Okay. Well, you can keep in touch with the podcast at uh, knifeperspective.com and you can connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at Knife Perspective. I've uh, been getting a lot of followers and stuff recently on uh, Knife Perspective and getting a lot of good DMs and feedback and stuff for the show. So I'm glad you guys are really appreciating it. And uh, you can pretty much find this podcast on every podcasting platform, uh, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, and Alexa even will play the the podcast. And if you uh, enjoy the show, you can also, uh, on our website, we got stickers and some merchandise, and you can also uh, donate some money too if you're just happy and grateful for the show. Also, you can keep in touch with Dan Eastland of Dogwood Custom Knives at dogwoodcustomknives.com. And he's Dogwood Custom Knives on Facebook and Instagram. And he loves emails at dan at dogwoodcustomknives.com. And you can keep in touch with me, Kyle Daly of Cage Daily Knives. And I'm on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and also TikTok now. Going to try to... You're TikTok? Yeah, we got some TikTok videos up there. Going to be doing some more shop stuff. And uh, it's going to be not quite as... Um, going to be a little bit more fun uh not quite as much like work in progress stuff less serious kyle and more fun yeah kyle. it's a little more a little more fun stuff i don't know if i'll be dancing or anything but oh i would pay extra <laughs> maybe you gotta go out there and do some twerking uh i i shake that money maker baby. i definitely don't think that's gonna be working but uh yeah so uh you can keep in touch with all of us uh there and uh Thanks, Vince. It's been great getting to know more about you and uh, hearing some more about it. And uh, hopefully I can make it out to Maryland sometime and uh, we can hopefully can do some crabbing. Yeah, man, let me know. It'll be awesome. All right. Want to say good night, Dan? Good night, Dan. Good night, everybody. Take care, guys. Well, let's take it to the edge Because that's what's expected In this discussion this is the night prospective. Let's get to the point. We're gonna talk about our things now. That's what's expected. It's the night prospective. Him and uh, John Malecki did a podcast. Um, oh, I forget what the name of it was. Fix This, Build That? That's the name of it. Brad's YouTube channel. Oh, um, okay. Uh, podcast, library, shows. I don't know what you're talking. You're just going to edit uh, it in to make made, it sound like you're a genius. Made for Profit is the, uh, the podcast that uh, Brad and John Malecki did. What was the, uh, what was that other brand, uh, of traditional ones, uh, man. Case, Buck, Hen and Rooster, uh, um, Red Rider. 
uh, Pink Eye, One Eyed Joe, <laughs> uh, Limping Lefty. Come on, uh, internet. The old stallion. So Dan doesn't keep talking. Uh, <laughs> Angry Dog, Five Legged Dog, um, uh, Organ Meat, Organ Grinder. Oregon Trail, you died of dysentery. Uh, the ah, uh, anyway, dude, there's only so much silence. Uh, my go. internet's not uh, not going. I don't know what's what's going on. Hey, I may not listen to this podcast, but my wife and kids do, and I better not find out that you edited that out. That is absolute auditory gold. <laughs> All right, 